Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello, Buglers. On yesterday's top stories, we celebrated the impending inauguration of Barack Obama, and today our top story gives you the exclusive official take on how the big day went with me, Andy Zaltzman, and John Oliver. Top story this week, and the world has finally changed. Well, Andy, in years to come, tens of millions of people will say, I was there. Most of them will be full of shit. <laughs> not me. It really was uh, an incredible moment, and not one that I ever thought I'd witness, because not only was I doubtful that I was an African-American president of the United States in my lifetime, but I was even more doubtful that if I ever did, I would somehow be allowed to be there as it happened. It did feel like being an extra in a big-budget blockbuster movie. It was as close as I felt to legitimately screaming out, Hail Caesar, and watching a Christian get fed to a lion. An estimated two and a half million people gathered together in front of the Capitol building. The only real comparison in terms of scale is the Hajj, the Muslim pilgrimage to Mecca, in an analogy which was bound to make much of middle America a little bit nervous. <laughs> History has been made, of course, uh, Barack Obama, after becoming the first African-American to run for president and the first African-American to be elected president, now completed the hat-trick and became the first African-American to be inaugurated as president. No one has ever pulled that threesome off before. What a performance of a six-foot-one-and-a-half-inch African-American. And, of course, he uh, became the ninth tallest U.S. president in U.S. history. And to add an insult to injury, in doing so, he knocked George W. Bush out of the top 20 tallest presidents. That must have stung, John. That must have, alongside the swinging, undiluted slamming of his presidency that he had to smirk through during Obama's speech. That must have stung. And you could look down on him both physically as well as emotionally. <laughs> It was an amazing moment. I mean, I can also say that I was there, uh, if by there you mean in my car listening to it on the radio on the way back from football. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they, these things have to take precedence. And in fact, at football, I got the opinions of some of Britain's leading comedians on what they thought of Obama's inauguration. So, Daniel Kitson, it's minutes until the inauguration of Barack Obama. How do you think you played in today's game? That's got an authentic hat-trick, one move left foot, one move right foot and a header. Right, so and an extra goal as well. Right, so I mean it's one of the most momentous days, uh, symbolic moments in uh, modern political history. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, you, you could have tracked back a bit more and helped out the midfield? I thought I did track back when people who were meant to be holding the back line uh, drifted in the second half, but let's right. not lose track of the important thing today, first ever header. First ever first header ever in the header. I see, Well, this is truly a momentous day on both sides of the Atlantic. For me, John, it was... I was delighted to see Obama take the White House, but it was a bit like when England won the Rugby World Cup final in 2003. Of course, was I was. Well, it was a bit like that, John, because of course I was pleased that England won it, but I think I was even more pleased that Australia lost it. And here it was great to see Obama being inaugurated, but it was even better to see George W. Bush leave. Well, 
the goodwill in the crowd was so strong, possibly because of that, that there were no reported arrests. Zero. None. <laughs> that is absolutely astounding. Bear in mind that British people can't gather in a 15,000-seater football stadium without getting drunk and fighting each other. It just felt weird to be amongst an almost dangerous amount of people and feel completely safe. No arrests at all, not, not even Cheney. No, they were especially not Cheney. <laughs> as we stood together afterwards, it hadn't really sunk in until Bush's helicopter Marine One flew directly over our heads and away from the White House. And it was like you could almost feel the collective sigh of relief make its way down the mall. Because <laughs> although there's great excitement at the possibility that Obama represents, I think there's just as much a sense of joy that the Bush administration is now gone. The first photos of Obama behind the desk in the Oval Office were remarkable, not just because of who he was, but because of who he wasn't. I even felt some relief seeing McCain sit there, as long as Palin wasn't behind him with a hammer. <laughs> it was uh, obviously an amazing moment when Bush left in his helicopter to the cheers of the crowd. And in fact, I was thinking of this from the aerial shots, done, from the way the crowds were gathered around uh, the Capitol building and then stretched yeah. down the National Mall. As yeah. Bush, the ex-president's God, that feels good. Look down from his special <laughs> chopper. The crowd must have looked, the way they gather around the wires and stretch it down the mouth, must have looked a bit like a giant hand flipping him one final farewell bird. A two and a half million person bird. Yeah, it's a shame they couldn't have done something like they do at football matches or Olympic opening ceremonies when the crowd turns over bits of card and makes a picture of a flag or Olympic rings or a wildebeest eating a piano. It's a shame that the crowd at the inauguration couldn't have all turned over little cards to spell out, F*** you, George. Seriously, you. And I think that's an opportunity missed that America will regret in future years. And if there was any, any doubt in your mind about whether people were being a little bit hard on Bush and his legacy, he generously silenced any sympathetic support by using one of his final declarations to announce that from now on, on January the 18th, it will be called National Sanctity of Human Life Day. President, ex-president, oh, that, that really does feel great, doesn't it? <laughs> ex-president Bush writes that all human life is a gift from our creator that is unique and worthy of protection. On National Sanctity of Human Life Day, our country recognises each person, including every person waiting to be born, has a special place and purpose in this world. Oh, why not? <laughs> with all the problems in America and the world, why not leave with a parting shot on people who might, for whatever reason, want or need an abortion? <laughs> and looking back at his administration, the president made a case for being one committed to building a culture of life. Among the achievements of life he highlighted were vigorously promoting adoption and parental uh, notification laws, opposing federal funding for abortions overseas, encouraging teen abstinence, and funding pregnancy programs. But of course, he was also very much pro-death in things like his foreign policy, his inaction during Katrina, his shameful underfunding of Walter Reed, and his God-taking commitment to the death panel. But here's the thing, I don't want to get too angry about it, because the point is, it's over. It's over. Exactly that kind of shit is over. It's just wonderful that for the first time in eight years, people around the world can wake up without the first thing they say being, oh, shit, George W. Bush is the most powerful man on the planet. I think getting up is going to take a lot less long. This could really boost world productivity. And it was amazing joy and emotion. It was quite inspiring to see uh, on the faces of the people in, in Washington this potently symbolic day of transformation and almost the beginning of a new modern age. And I guess it's hard as a white British person to fully understand and relate to what black Americans must have felt. I guess, I mean, the closest I can think is what I would feel like if a second-generation lapsed Jewish classics graduate ever became England cricket captain. I mean, it <laughs> must have been that strong. Street vendors were there selling... I was there, laminated certificates, which you could hang around your neck. And uh, I saw one person, by two of them, 
for themselves and one for, and I quote, my auntie in Indiana. Now, that is a lovely gesture, but let's be honest, she can't have that. No, she, she can have a different one, say, I wasn't there, but I know someone who was, and they bought me this. That would be fine. But otherwise, that certificate surely doesn't have the necessary authority to justify its $15 price tag. <laughs> Because it was quite a, a striking performance from Obama, John. It rattled along at a steady 125 words per minute. Did your standard tight inauguration 20-minute set. Uh, he went for 19, left space for an encore that slightly embarrassingly didn't come. But um, also, I thought he did pretty well to top Aretha Franklin's hat, which was a yeah. truly spectacular day, although I was a bit disappointed with Aretha that she got the, wor- the words to God save the Queen wrong. Uh, and you know, as a British person, that was, that was a real disappointment after all we've done for that country. And also, I thought the poet who followed Obama really struggled. I mean, I guess that is a tough act to follow. You know, it's bad booking. You've got to put your open mic poets on at the start of the gig before yeah. your inspirational orator stroke, era-defining socio-political symbol. Now, that is basic stuff. I mean, yeah, I guess you could have put Lord Byron on after Barack Obama, brought him back to life with his plums hanging out, and no-one would have taken any notice, apart from Joe Biden's wife, if you know what I mean. And what I mean is she loves romantic poetry. But this woman stood no chance. I, I think there's a time and a place for poetry, John, and it's in the 19th century in an opium den. <laughs> oh, I'm just amazed he didn't say something. They said, OK, so uh, the line-up's ready to go. Uh, you'll be going on uh, after the president. Oh, I beg your pardon? <laughs> I mean, if there's any chance of me just slipping in before him, that will, that will be better. <laughs> I mean, what you've got to remember is I am a poet, not Nelson Mandela. <laughs> It was the most meticulously planned day since the last royal funeral. You can say what you like about them, they still know how to go out like Vikings. <laughs> but there were still some lighter comic moments in a surprise comic twist, Dick Cheney, that turned up in a wheelchair. Apparently, he hurt his back whilst moving his stuff. And what stuff would that be, Andy? Would it be classified documents, by any chance? And would he be moving them towards a shredder or an open fire? That man just does not care what people think of him. He'd come out dressed as a volcano spewing lava from his nipples if he thought it would piss people off more. <laughs> I don't think there has ever been a human being so bored by consequences. Yeah, he's knackered his back, packing files up uh, in his office. And I don't want to use the words incriminating evidence, John, but a friend of mine who looks like Dick Cheney has told me how big and heavy some files can be when you have to remove them from your office yourself without right. anyone else looking at them. <laughs> Of course, you know, this could have happened to a nicer guy, John, but it didn't. It happened to Cheney. <laughs> the other comic relief was that Obama actually had to take the oath of office twice after Justice John Roberts balls it up the first time. And well, that's understandable. It's not like it's only 35 words and that his entire career is based on upholding the Constitution. Oh, hold on. It's exactly like that. It is exactly like that. What a joke by Robert Sunday. I haven't heard a joke so bad since Jesus first turned water into slightly warmer water. <laughs> Still impressive, but not what he'd said he was going to do. <laughs> well, I was a bit disappointed uh, in uh, Obama's speech, John, as a British person. That's, you know, he slammed al-Qaeda in the middle, and that was fair enough. But then he slammed Britain at the end, banging on about the old War of Independence hoopla. And I think, you know, after yeah. all the support that we at the Bugle have given Obama, I thought that was really no way to pay back the nation that has spawned yeah. the Bugle. Absolutely. I nearly stormed the stage at that point. Uh, Obama then set about the difficult task of dismantling the shit castle which Bush has lovingly built. Uh, one of the first defecation turrets to topple was Guantanamo Bay, which Obama announced will be closed no later than one year now. So America is on a one-year waiting list, Andy, to have the operation to remove that shame from its conscience. 
He also announced that from now on, officials are banned from receiving gifts from lobbyists in what he called a clean break from business as usual. And this was met by some panic responses of, uh, starting when, Barack? <laughs> in half an hour? Have I got time to make a quick 300 phone calls? <laughs> yes, we have in fact Googled Guantanamo, and yes, it is still open. Thanks for listening, Buglis. If you want more amazing podcast action, go to our website. And here, amongst other things, our 15th anniversary chats with both Marina Hyde and John Oliver on the official Bugle podcast feed. More top stories tomorrow. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.